How did the the electorate of Pennsylvania elect John Fetterman? Because he was the best candidate for the job. <laughs> right. I, I think we do. I think we need more Fettermans in uh, in Congress <laughs> because that's how you break down the illusion that the, that people put into this thing. Right. Like you you want you want Fettermans in there if you're going to break down the religion of the state. Yeah. Well, and, and it's also and that's also the fact that the average person is just disconnected from the political process. Yeah. They're voting as a duty. And they're not they're not fully engaged, right? Because so you think progressives voted for John Fetterman because Fetterman is going to destroy the illusion of of no no no, 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 no. Progressives voted for John Fetterman because Trump Dr. Oz. because Trump endorsed <laughs> Doctor Oz. Yeah, but. I think that you should vote for for Fetterman because he is terrible <laughs> and that he is going to make people lose faith in government. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We've got a lot of interesting things to talk about today, including the Facebook files. It appears that the White House has called for censorship against Kyle Mack. We're going to get into it. The DOJ also says Sam Bankman-Fried is free to go. Or did they? And aliens are back again. We can't get enough alien content. Can we, David Rand? More aliens, the better, if you ask me. The internet loves aliens. Kyle, what do you think about aliens? It's, it's all a psyop. No, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm just saying that to annoy Dave. I think we need to have you tell us in the comments below this video, do you think aliens are real or do you think they're a government psyop? Go ahead and leave us a comment and wherever you are, like, follow, subscribe, etc. Let's get started with the Facebook files. Obviously, a little bit of facetiousness saying that, uh, the White House has called for Mark Zuckerberg to censor Kyle. Although you have been deleted off of Facebook before, right? You've yeah, been- no, and, and I created a new account, and like every time I try to make a post on there, I get like a thirty-day suspension. So it, it is like an ongoing thing that exists for me. Yes. So you are blacklisted effectively. I, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on with Facebook, but yeah. what it is, it triggers the algorithm. You just hit post all those shirtless pics and they're just like, not too much, too <laughs> much. Get them too off. Much. Back not, to Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like that garbage platform anyways. So <laughs> I, I, I'm better off without it. Get out of here. Zuck. Yeah. So basically what happened is uh, a government oversight, uh, Jim Jordan, a uh, Republican, uh, in the house released uh, through FOIA, a bunch of emails, internal emails at Facebook saying the white house is asking us to take down X. And some of them are like memes, like one of those memes where the guys like pointing and it, you know, it, it go down a little bit, Kyle. And, and, and I could show you one of the memes that's down there. Um, that one right there. Yeah. Oh, Leo pointing at the TV with a beer and a cigarette in hand. Like <laughs> I've seen this one before. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Did you or a loved one take the COVID vaccine? It's, it's, it's talking about 10 years from now, you'll be watching TV in here. Like one of those lawyer oh, commercials, you know, like mesothelioma yeah, and that sort of thing. Right, right. And it's basically saying it's just it's a it's a vaccine joke slash skeptic skepticism point. Uh, and it's a it's an example within uh, the emails where the White House says this is the sort of thing we need to get taken down. Wow. So, I mean, so they're they're sort of giving weight to the idea that uh, that memes influence culture and they're trying to curtail which memes are getting traction so that the wrong ide- ideas and narratives don't get out. Yeah, so if you take the Twitter file seriously, the meme war, the meme magic, is something being taken very seriously by government. Uh, for example, there's an entire, it's not a fusion center, but it's kind of like it's a nonprofit. I can't remember what the name of it is that very specifically engages in propaganda via memes from the government. Interesting. Uh, kind of like, a, you know, It'll be like one of those nonprofits. It's got an innocuous name. Kyle, you're looking it up. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? 
Uh, so it, it is non-trivial that the government is saying means we don't like Facebook take down, but we're going to fund a nonprofit that's going to literally produce means in order to spread our point of view. A propaganda ministry effectively through a third party. <laughs> for memes. Yeah, <laughs> for memes. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, memes are the language of our generation, right? It, it, it is. I mean, and important to remember what a meme is, right? What's Where's the word come from? What's well, actually from uh, the selfish gene by Dawkins. Um, Dawkins where he basically says that human evolution happens through genes up to a certain point, and then we're functionally unchanging since the agricultural revolution. Uh, so 8,000 BC, something like that. And uh, since then, most of our evolution happens through memes, meaning ideas, core ideas change us. And that's really our evolutionary advantage, getting a little nerdy on this, but is the fact that we don't have to change our biology in order to adapt to a new environment and a new cir- circumstance. We just change our mind. Mm. Right. And so that that core human evolutionary change, um, rather than having internally happens externally. And that flexibility is why we're the dominant species on the planet. Right. It gets cold, slaughter animal and wear its skin. That's pretty weird. Right. But that's what we do. Uh, so the White House being viewpoint discrimination to in order to influence our ideas. Right. This is this is way beyond NPR just being left leaning. Right. This is this is saying to Twitter. Twitter, you need to have, make sure to take down malinformation. Let's remember what malinformation is. Malinformation, unlike misinformation, misinformation is wrong information, right? Malinformation is information that the government doesn't like, that doesn't fit the narrative the government wants to push to the public at a given time. We have, it's a completely different field of government engagement in media from what we've seen before. And so I think previously a lot of opponents to internet to, to the idea of internet censorship that's taking place would say these are private companies, they can do what they want. But this is the executive branch of the United States government instructing a private company to censor someone. That's a whole different story. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I, I like what uh, Michael Schellenberger, he, I, I think he's the one that really coined this term when him and Taibbi were in that uh, hearing a few months ago, was the uh, censorship industrial complex. Mm-hmm. And the whole concept is that you're using like third parties to essentially get around the constitution. So you have uh, you have these companies selling off data to third parties, which then are being bought by the government. Then that government is kind of that data is being used to violate the Fourth Amendment, right? Or it's the FBI is coming in and saying, "Hey, there's some no-no tweets. You you doing anything about that?" And it's basically like a mafia shakedown. And they're like, "Oh yeah," or else you're going to get run in front of Congress again. You know, mm-hmm, <laughs> like mm-hmm. like that type of a thing is kind of how uh, there's a workaround on the first amendment right say. right right which 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 means what we need to do in order to fix this problem is pass a new law that says the government can't use nonprofits to violate your first and fourth amendment rights very clearly like if you give if the government gives uh, two two different directions to think about that one any nonprofit that receives government funds has to be viewpoint neutral right uh, that would be a regulation of private industry so it's a little bit shakier ground the other one is say government can't give nonprofits money, <laughs> right? But that's like what the government does for a tremendous amount of money. So oh, yeah. that would have a lot of uh, political barriers as well. well. Well, and this is this is kind of the trajectory is it's like you'll have entities like DARPA that are giving money to a bunch of NGOs. And then those NGOs are giving a bunch of money to like colleges, universities that set up research projects and have grants. And then they get all these like 
internet uh, researchers and those internet researchers will be like, well, there's bot farms over in, uh, in, uh, you know, in Russia and there's, there's bot farms here and these things. And then they come and then those researchers come forward and bring that to the government and be like, Hey, look, there's all this, uh, national security state, you know, <laughs> uh, problems with all these bot farms and they're kind of trying to sway elections. And then, the, and then that's the, uh, then that's the trigger for them to go to the social media companies and be like, Hey, we have a bunch of researchers that said this is happening. Uh, you should do something about it. But the so funding initially initially starts from somewhere like DARPA, right? right. <laughs> so the, another one, that's a great example. And, uh, you know, the, we have a very clear document trail that shows that Bellingcat, uh, which is traditional media, right? It's, it's releasing here's investigative news stories from this organization called Bellingcat that basically went from completely unknown to like, a major source for most, you know, corporate media that gets most of its funding from a democracy, uh, American democracy, something NGO, right? Which is pretty much funded by the intelligence community, hmm. right? So the idea that this organization that was funded specifically to encourage democracy overseas, and this is that goes way back this is in the Cold War. I can't remember the, the, the name of it again. What's it called? Or, oh, I, I don't know. I was the, just going to say they're based out of the Netherlands. They're based out of Amsterdam. Yeah. But, um, so, um, yeah, Bellingcat? Yeah, Bellingcat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, is giving money to this organization, as well as European um, states are giving money to this nonprofit, who then puts out information that all just so happens to coincide with what the intelligence state thinks about everything, right? Imagine that. War in Ukraine, war in Syria, Libya, all these things. All they put out, what they put out is mostly not stuff that is questioning the mainstream narrative, but rather reinforcing it. And it all happens to be majorly funded by the government simultaneously. So like, I get it when people are skeptical, they say like, oh, all this, if you have a mental model for spontaneous order, right, where things boil up from the bottom and we have major trends without any major like organizing figure above it, it's really tempting to look at, you know, a phenomenon like the mainstream press and say like, this is a spontaneously ordered phenomenon. Yeah. In many ways, it is. A lot of individual reporters are reporting what they think is most interesting. And so in that sense, it is. But on the other sense, when you have major funding by governments that are major like points of like citation within these organizations that drive what gets covered and how it's covered, it's harder. it gets harder and harder the, the deeper this rabbit hole you go uh, to see that this is purely a private market of people just saying what they think is true and just doing pure news reporting. Right. Uh, it's really hard to look at that video that went viral. It's gone viral a few different times from around, you know, the, the pandemic where all the news anchors are saying the very same thing about how misinformation is dangerous to our democracy. And it's like, you know, a split screen of like 30 or, or 50 different news anchors from all over the country, like local news anchors saying the exact same script. Mm -hmm. Where did that come from? Do we know where did that come from? Like, is that a Bellingcat? Well, well uh, yeah, I, so I, what, I, what that is, 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 okay, so I can explain that. If you, yeah. if you got something on Well, I, I was just going to say, I'm just, oh, okay. I'm just looking at some of the funding of Bellingcat and you have Open Society Foundation, you have the National Endowment for Democracy. That's what know. I was talking about. That's yeah, the, that's, that's yeah. the intelligence community op. Yeah. And yeah, the National Endowment for Democracy is the, uh, is the intelligence community op. And then Open Society Foundation is George Soros. Right. Right. Mm. Right. So it, it uh, uh the, what was it? Elon Musk got in trouble for saying something was a bad psyop. It was like a shooting or something like that. And, and when he it was, was Bellingcat, yeah, he was like, Bellingcat well, that came was the one from that Bellingcat, that. Yeah. citing of this weird Russian website that this was a racially 
motivated shooting. Why? And in that same interview, he had to defend his statements about how he thinks that George Soros is like the enemy of humanity. Too. <laughs> like it was the same thing. He was, yeah. he was funding Bellingcat. And right? I'm sure George Soros is a very nice man. But the point being that there is a... Yeah, I'm sure. That there is... We, if you just go in with a naive point of view, that all of this is just happening on its own without any centralizing force that is that is creating a lot of these in, in, incentives within the corporate press, you're just not following the evidence. You're just you're just paying you're not paying attention. Yeah. So. Uh, because, oh yeah, and I was going to talk about the uh, the video you talked about. Mm-hmm. One of the things about that video that a lot of people don't understand is most. Uh, okay, so. A lot of those folks were local television, mm-hmm. right? So in local television, you kind of have these news services that deliver messages, like deliver like tight messaging that you can then kind of copy paste and deliver for a message in, in an evening. So it isn't that it, what people kind of will look at, the skeptics of that will look at it and say like, well, no one was forced to do this. This was all an offering and they all took advantage of this offering to deliver this message that these news stations thought was important through this centralized service that was delivering that news service. What is that service? Uh, there are all kinds. AP is one of them, right? Okay. So the oldest school of them, right? And that's like, this happened in Libya today. And it's like super straightforward, facts-based. I mean, AP is not always great, but oftentimes it's just facts, right? Sure. Good reporting. Well, that was not very factual. No, no, no. That no. Message other, uh, there are other ones that exist. And it's from one of the other ones. I can't remember exactly. I, this is some time ago, so forgive my memory. But sure. there was... Um, there, there was a service that was offering that, and that's why those happen, right? Because sure. these are small, you know, local news services. They don't have the resources, and they're trying to put out something daily. Well, right, and they're they're affiliates of a larger national network, right? Like you have your Fox local ABC yeah. affiliate or your yep. Fox affiliate or whatever it is, and so they're getting a lot of things passed down from the corporate mm-hmm. HQ, right? Mm-hmm. But I think the point still stands that a lot of the news that we think is this spontaneous ground up, the local, you know, thing is actually really a narrative that is delivered from somewhere else that is somewhere higher up the chain and we are it is incumbent upon us if we consider ourselves critical thinkers to ask where is the funding coming for that thing where is the messaging coming you know from ultimately what is the source of that stuff right Mm -hmm. that's that's just sort of the i think the central point around all of this and when you when you trace it back and you think like okay what was project mockingbird right which was a fbi cia operation to influence american public opinion about the war in Vietnam. And you say, well, that ended. And so there's definitely nothing that the government can do after that that would be of a similar ilk. And what we're finding out through the Twitter files and through the Facebook files and hopefully eventually the Google files, (laughs) that there is a substantial amount of interest that the government is taking tools that were built to fight the war on terror and to fight, you know, Islamic propagation online and has turned those on the American public. It's a classic example of what's called the boomerang effect which is that the American global foreign policy um, apparatus so often is first orientated towards external threats. And then when it, those external threats aren't over a threat anymore, they don't go away. They don't disappear. They turn internally. You look at riot gear, snipers, uh, things like that being used on protesters in Ferguson way back in the day, surprising everybody. Like, where did they get all this gear? Oh, they look like, they look like soldiers. They don't mm-hmm. look like police officers. That was surplus military goods. So they go into Iraq, use goods. And then afterwards, if they have extra, if they have, um, you know, goods, you know, basically body armor, stuff like that, that's still usable. They sell them to local sheriff departments who then use it against their citizenry. Right. Well, there was also, I mean, parallel to that. I mean, the DOD was giving grants to local police uh, organizations, you know, um, to give them basically free federal gear. I mean, Mm -hmm. I remember the Bearcat uh, controversy that we had here in Bozeman years ago. 
was an example of that. The, the Bozeman PD applied for a grant to get a 17,000 pound piece of military equipment, you know, ostensibly for defensive purposes, right? But it's an armored vehicle with gun ports and bulletproof everything. And okay, a town like Bozeman, if, if you're not from here, if you don't live here, it's just about as peaceful as it can really get. Like completely inappropriate for a town like this to have something like that. Right. And and the, the interesting thing is part of that grant, the rules were you have to use it every so often or you lose it. Hmm. So they, they trot it out once in a while for a, some sort of escalated situation and you know, but it's 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 an example of that, right? Yeah. Where the programs never get scaled back; they just it just gets distributed further and further, to really to the detriment, I think, of the of the people right. of a community. Right. So a lot of people will say, "Oh, I'm a, I'm a hawk internationally, but domestically, I'm a civil libertarian." Well, the problem with that is the boomerang effect and how it is impossible to contain just your foreign policy without Im- impacting your domestic policy. Yeah. Uh, and, and whether or not we should be selling the military gear, that's a completely separate question. The reality is, is that that's, this is what happens. The international surveillance tools get used on American citizens. The erosion of, of the moral character of the country, I'm going to use this word even, even from my point of view, of the kind of divisiveness of foreign policy interventions filters itself into the world. If you're in a place in the, after 9-11 and you got half the country that is like, if you don't like the war in Iraq, you hate America, why don't you move out of here? And the other one saying, this is an illegal invasion based upon lies. Well, of course we're polarized and we're going to get even more polarized and we're just going to leverage off of that polarization. You cannot stop international politics from affecting your domestics. The Facebook files is an extension of that. So conservatives, take note. Take note of that. Think carefully about how your foreign policy impacts your domestic policy. I like that. Let's shift gears and talk about Sam Bankman-Fried here. The DOJ has dropped one specific charge that was levied against Sam Bankman-Fried. For those of you that don't remember, he was the CEO and founder of FTX, uh, which was a crypto exchange that very famously blew up. It was all over the headlines. Uh, He was this very altruistic character, but it turned out he was basically defrauding the people that had trusted him with their money. So the DOJ has dropped the campaign finance charge against him. Kyle, what does that mean and what does it not mean? Um, Well, and specifically, I want to say something about your, he's a very altruistic character is that he actually comes from a very specific school of thought, which is called effective altruism, which is this whole idea of effective philanthropy. And you got to make, you got to keep making money so that when you die, you can give it all away. Kind of like he's, he's one of those characters, right? right? So, um, but yeah, no, the, the important thing to know with this, and I'm seeing just from a lot of the reporting on this is that it's just the campaign finance violation that is dropped. He still has like seven other charges here. He still frauded a lot of people. And th- that's still at least ineffective as, as of right now. I'm seeing a lot of people saying like, oh, he's, he's good to go. He's free. That's, that's not what happened. If you are a small business owner looking for exponential growth, you have to connect with Adam Thune at Intellectual Patriots. He will revolutionize your business game and help you get to the next level. Adam can streamline your business practices, and advertising strategies to improve your bottom line. His expertise in data engineering means he can build you the systems you need to collect and analyze market data. His mission is to provide you with invaluable insights to fuel your success. From grant writing and business proposals to digital systems integrations, even AI management, Intellectual Patriots is a one-stop shop for cutting-edge solutions. Don't wait another second. Visit intelpatriots.com to learn more. That's I-N-T-E-L patriots.com. Here is the most important. This is what bothers me about the story and that didn't get covered because the most important question wasn't asked. 
Why was Sam Frankman, Sam Bankman Freed? Why was Sam Bankman Freed? F, SF, FBF? SBF, Sam Bankman Freed. Why was Sammy? Old Sammy. Have these charges dropped? Why was those charges dropped? Because the Bahamas made it a condition of his extradition to the United States. So let's go over the story real quick. All this stuff drops. FTX is like the most ridiculously corrupt and unaccountable company that's ever existed in the United States. We covered a bunch of that earlier this year. When that when that happened, he had escaped to the Bahamas, right? He goes to the Bahamas, which uh, apparently FTX has some investments in Bahamas, like or has well, they're, they're houses. Just, and stuff. They're like the biggest company with like the most jobs in the Bahamas, in the Bahamas at the time. Yeah. Like, like they're they're a tax cow for the okay. Bahamas. Really. So they're literally they're a tax cow for the Bahamas. They have all these employees, but they're defrauding all these people. And the United States says, "Hey, this guy committed crimes, including campaign finance violations, which is a huge deal. Like those are felonies." And those, and they say, hey, you need to extradite him back to the United States. Extradition just means bring him back to the United States so that we can prosecute him. And just to be clear about the, these campaign finance violations, really what he was doing was taking deposits that people had invested in his company and giving them to political candidates, yeah. right? Literally a corporate contribution. Like yeah. th- th- this, is the, this is the center of the entire scam that he was pulling was that, is that a lot of people thought that they had their money with FTX. And one of the things, and this is what the charges are still there, is that a lot of mo- the money was just getting like moved over into Alameda, into Alameda Research, which is like their, uh, their hedge fund. Um, and then others were these campaign finance uh drops right here which is a millions, which is a corporate contribution millions and yeah. millions and millions he, of dollars. he was the like, second biggest donor in the 2020 election mm-hmm. to the democrats exclusively yeah, yeah. so he he uh, and he has all these connections within the high elite of the democratic party and stuff like that. i think we've covered that earlier mm-hmm. but so the he gets the the bahamas get those requests and they say yeah we'll we will extradite him back but you cannot charge him on campaign finance violations you do the fraud charges but not campaign finance. So why would the Bahamas stipulate that? That's a great question. I wish someone would ask yeah. that, would, would, would do some investigative reporting on that because that is a huge story. Think about it. Like what incentive does the Bahamas, a, a small government, very close to the United States, dominated by U.S. foreign policy interests in so many ways, have to make a demand of the United States government? The United States government says, ah, you're right. Yeah, we won't. No problem. We just won't. We won't charge on that. I mean, especially with the amount of time that we took <laughs> talking in this country about the evils of corporate campaign contributions or the evils of Russian interference with the, with Dark the American money and all that, all that stuff, yeah. all that dialogue. And then when this happens, the Bahamas say, Hey, you can't charge this guy or we won't extradite him or we, we sign this deal. And then we can't figure out a way there has to be investigative reporting to be done on why that would matter for the Bahamas. It seems like the possibility exists that there's some sort of back channel or pressure perhaps right from the administration or someone well-connected who doesn't want Sam to be charged on these things, talking to Bahamian officials saying, hey, insist upon this and we will, we will, you know, oh, grant man. it. Very possibly. Right? I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Uh, this is speculation. The should course, have, should they, if they, if they, if we have a treaty with the Bahamas for extradition and we sign up to that and they, and we cut a deal, we should follow our deal. I, I, I'm not saying we sure. should not follow our deal. But the question is, why would they insist upon yes, that? Yes, that, that is the investigatory question that someone's got to ask. Because if you get there, you're touching on all of that international money question that does so well for so many clicks, for so mm. many people, right? You can make a ton of money if you can figure out that question or at least have a plausible story for it. Man, I just have this vague memory because this happened this time last year. 
and I got way in the weeds when it happened last year. But I, I got this vague memory of like when when all this was going down in like the first two weeks, there was a hack on the FTX funds that happened, and and a bunch of people were tracing all the funds across the blockchain. It was like it was going through here, then it was going through this coin scrambler and and all this stuff, and it was tracking. And eventually, when when Sam still had access to his Twitter, he said something along the lines of like. Like one there, where there was a hack, but then there was also a bunch of funds that were like the Bohemian governments or something. I, I wonder if there's like a weird connection. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm just having like these like thoughts uh, popping up yes, into my head right because now. Because the, the Panama um, Papers, do you guys remember this? The Panama yeah. Papers, mm-hmm. right? This is all the international monetary or international um, kind of corporate and personal hiding of money and transfer of money out of uh, Panama. The Bahamas was a substantial part of that. The Bahamas leaks are 1.3 million internal files from a company registered in the Bahamas. After the release of the Panama Papers in 2016, an unknown source handed over internal data from the National Corporate Registry of the Bahamas to Frederick Oppenheimer and blah, 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 who analyzed them uh, to help with the International Consortium for Investigative Journalists. So we know that the Bahamas are an area where people hide money, right? So San Franklin Fried is there. So what what is the connection between campaign finance and that money would be an incredibly important question for our domestic politics. Yeah. Absolutely. So essentially, yeah, there was $600 million that were siphoned out of FTX's crypto wallets uh, while, while everything was going down. Mm-hmm. While, while um, Sam was under investigation or while th- this, this was, was like in the out. first week after the, after the collapse, it was, wow. wait, 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 this yeah. is like, this is, this is because it's a custodial wallet with FTX, the trading company. Mm-hmm. And it got moved out of people's personal wallets into well, well. So, so the the original scam was that there was essentially a back channel for Alameda to be to be trading coins. So, like you thought that you owned Bitcoin on the exchange, but actually Alameda was out gambling it the whole time. Mm. And and then when everything crashed, like they were over leveraged, everything came crashing down, right? And then they, and then they had a lot of their uh, liquidity was in their own coin. But mm. when when the exchange goes down, the value of the coin goes down because nobody wants the coin anymore, right? Mm. But so there was a lot of things like there's not like you know all the money is gone but there was still money that existed there and there was uh some of the crypto that was there there was a big hack that had happened basically right after everything happened mm. uh, with uh with the exchange going down and it was about 600 million is my understanding if i'm reading this right this is an old article so i, I this was what was reported at the time but and i know there was a lot of people doing a lot of sleuthing and they were tracing the money through the chains like the, you know it was going from ethereum to you know it was going through into a bunch of coin scramblers so that they could like privatize it, but people were tracking it still. And then it would mm. go into, you know, whatever coin and, and then it got lost is my understanding. But wow, I don't know. Uh, is This is another reason why if you're in cryptocurrency, if you're going to go into cryptocurrency, you have your own wallet with your own private keys. Never, ever, 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 ever put your, keep your money in some exchange. Don't keep it there. Keep it on a private wallet. Use Exodus, use yeah. Ledger, use somebody, for mm-hmm. God's uh, sakes. Yeah, um, unless not. you're actively trading on the exchange. But even yeah. then, like you shouldn't keep like your vast amount of holdings. You should only be what you're trading on that exchange. Um, yeah, no, and this was this was also an- another major thing that happened at that time. FTX was hacked, and then there was an update that got pushed through the through the app. So anybody that had the app, there was malware that was pushed on the app afterwards. Like it was a massive hack that had occurred. Uh, so <laughs> the timing of it, it, it was very weird. It was very weird when it happened. And, it and that, that was never reported on like, because it, that was too high level, but there was a, there was a huge hack that had occurred. And a lot of people speculated that Sam was moving money around or some, because somebody had to have the master keys that was doing it. 
Right. Like it wasn't really just like a hack. It was somebody had the master keys and was moving funds around when, when everything came crashing down. Mm. And that money is unaccounted for. Well, lots of question marks. <laughs> I'm thinking a lot of things I'm not going to say because you guys hate it when I speculate. And I understand it's baseless. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to assert things without, speculate, without evidence. Just, just, just frame it up. Be like, this is a speculation, but okay. And then go. Well, what if Sam understood this whole Ponzi scheme that he was perpetrating was going to come crashing down. So he built in a back door, some malware that he could blame on a hacker or he or someone in his team. That right? was the hypothesis from a lot of crypto people. So that when the, the jig was up, he could quickly move some money. He could get away and, you know, go to the Bahamas and have something to his name that he could use to make sure he had uh, resources to do whatever he wanted with, which not least of which would be paying off the right people to try to get him some coverage and obviously contributing heavily to the political establishment primarily on the left but also somewhat on the right was was an insurance policy or effectively could be an insurance policy and is evidence to be such based on the fact that they're dropping charges against him to say that you know if this comes down you know hopefully i'll be protected by the politically uh you know the the political uh, elite right so, so something worth noting because everybody always says that ftx was primarily donating to the democrats uh somebody else on the, his c on a c-suite um was also one of the primary donors for the republicans as well and they were like mm. the third highest mm. as well so like th- this this notion that it was just the democrats that were receiving a ton of money is is not correct. <laughs> well, and I think that that's completely yeah. fair and mm-hmm. also just indicative of the fact that corruption is rampant on both sides of the aisle. This is not a left only or a right only issue, right? There, you know, you have to look at the way that people organize themselves. When you become a part of a particular group of people, uh, let's just say members of Congress, those are the people you hang out with. They, they're your colleagues. You have to work with them and make deals with them. You become friends with them. You have lunches and dinners and drinks and this and that. And you become, you become a, a community. And of course it makes sense, right? Just intuitively that you would do things that would not harm the community you want to be a part of, the community you want to be respected and liked by. So the basic human incentives of a situation like that would be that you would look out for your own, right? That, that, that makes total sense to me. Of course, it really sucks when the result of that is protecting someone from a crime that they did commit and should be punished for, right? And having the, the authority to be able to do that, it, it makes a mockery of the American justice system. So something that's also uh, kind of important to note on the FTX thing, or specifically on Sam Bankman-Fried is, I like the way that Mark Andreessen talks about this, is um, remember when all this happened and all the, like, the positive news articles that came out about Sam and everybody was just like, you know, he's just a genius ahead of his time. And, you know, he just made a simple mistake. And like, the, like those are the New York Times articles that are coming out in the dawn of this collapse. Like there, it was softball interviews with him. Like there was this big event and they had a New York Times reporter and they're giving him softball interviews. And you're just like, what went wrong, man? Like, <laughs> right. you know, like there was no questions around like, you know, you committed mass fraud on the level of $8 billion. And it was, it was like, what went wrong? How are you going to do better next time, man? Like, like those are the interviews is like the important thing to to realize is like Sam's part of the club. And so like everybody kind of has like this, this little, you you know, you're supposed to treat him nice. You're supposed to treat him with kid gloves. If he was outside the club, it would be a completely different story. Exactly. And there are plenty of people in crypto that are outside of the club. And they, they do not get handled in the same way. They haven't committed mass fraud on the level he has yet. So we, we've yet to see on kind of what the <laughs> what it would look like. Well, but, there, there are a significant um, number of uh, crypto founders, engineers, et cetera, that have 
died in very mysterious ways. Yeah, in the Caribbean as well. Yeah, Nikolai from Maker Dow put out a tweet that his his girlfriend was a spy and that they're going to frame him, and then like a week later was found dead on San Juan shores. So, you know, there are things like that that happen. There are there are a lot of things like that that happen. And all you can do is ask questions because there's not a lot of evidence to go on. But when there is evidence, you, you do have to just, you have to wonder. There's been a lot of plane crashes lately too. Mm. <laughs> a lot of crypto billionaires on plane crashes. But Indeed. Well. What a great note to end that. <laughs> so uh, on an even more sunny note, we got the Senate Democrats again reject any accountability for Ukraine spending. Now, this is a little unfair. There are a couple of Democrats that were good on this on some of the amendments. And there's a fight over who should do the accountability. That's going to happen on the Republican side. But ultimately, at the end of the day, how this is breaking down is almost all Republicans are saying we need accountability for Ukraine spending. Almost all Democrats are rejecting that accountability. On what grounds? Uh, Good question. I haven't seen an argument that makes any sense so far from uh, the Democrats other than that we need to trust our allies. Okay, fair, but I would offer trust but verify yeah right (laughs) right especially when it's hundreds of billions of dollars you're sending into a war zone like you have to expect and Rand paul made this comment right you have to expect there's going to be fraud that's taking place not just that but that we have so much actual evidence of fraud right not just like the reporting of seymour hirsch that basically said this is the tune of this is way bigger than people realize but also uh for example we got a great video of a german mercenary um who served in the foreign legion in ukraine uh, that we could check out here uh, if you want to queue it up, Kyle. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this this is a good example of we have evidence that this is true, that this is happening, that there is fraud happening. Uh, and obviously this is going to cover some other important information. What the Democrats are mostly getting away with at the moment, it seems to me to be saying that any accusation of fraud or that this isn't going to where it should be going is a right wing conspiracy theory. And they can just and for some reason, it blows my mind that there's so much in the media that is just willing to be like, oh yeah, that shouldn't be questioned, right? Because we have because these things are so well seen. Like you have videos with hundreds of thousands of dollars of veterans, American veterans and other veterans like the one we're about to watch, saying exactly this, that this is a huge problem. So I can only attest to the treatment of POWs at the front line. Um, and it was mixed. So... It was it was the most normal thing in the world to pose with them, to make pictures with them, to humili- to humiliate them. It was always among our Ukrainian comrades. You know, it was part of the good tone to like put a gun on their on their chest and say, "Oh, say Slava Ukraini," um, or make them say Putin Khrylos, stuff like that. That was normal. That was normalized for our Ukrainian comrades. That did not happen in my units that did not happen by any of the volunteers I was with, but it happened. It was done by the Ukrainians. Also, what was relatively normal was just to to slap or to beat um, prisoners. Sometimes if they weren't doing anything fast enough, sometimes just because you felt like it or because somebody felt like it and just went past him, slapped him on the head, stuff like that. What I did see on one occasion was, and those were the the, the Spetsnaz guys. One was was beaten. Um, uh, a Ukrainian comrade. He put him on his knees. He made him back for his life. He 
stabbed him in the in the thigh with a knife um, and then sent him on his way. And later that same day, I, I don't remember who it was. It was not the same guy. It was someone else. Um, they took three prisoners of war in the in the in the nearby forest, um, and you could just hear. And they came back without prisoners. I think you can fill in the blanks. Um, that is what I saw, and that is what it seemed to me like the the uh the deeds of of individuals or individual war crimes there was actually an investigation launched by the unit into who killed the prisoners into mistreatment of prisoners um however i'm not aware that anything any kind of of consequences were resulted from that everything else though the the corruption um guns you know, being loaded into civilian cars in the middle of the night, never to be seen again. Uh, bayonets that were supposed to be there that at some point just dematerialized. Drone guns that apparently never made it there. Glocks that went missing after two days. Um, all of that I can I can attest to. I can attest to lying, constant fucking lying from mostly from the Ukrainians, mostly from the upper echelons, people like Taras or Sasha. Yeah. So there is, uh, uh, he goes on to talk about a lot of the lies that are happening from military leadership and stuff like that. That's, yeah, I mean, that less important for this investigative putting someone in charge of accountability for the spinning Ukraine. But when you think about all the goods and materials that are just disappearing, probably into the black markets, according to Seymour Hirsch, uh, that is really substantial. Not to mention, and I probably could have keyed up to this part better, the abuse of prisoners of war. Now, I want to remind everybody, if you're thinking, if you're if you're a Ukraine war supporter, and if you find yourself hearing that and saying, like, well, this is war, I want you to remember Abu Ghraib. I want you to remember the humiliation of prisoners of war in an occupation, in an insurgency, that, that we took accountability for on the international scene that we should have, that we, it was, it was just of us to say that this was evil and wrong. And then if you make an exception, cause it's the war you support, check your moral compass. Think very carefully about how you are committing your moral being to an idea that it's okay when it's your war. And if you just, if you gloss over that, if you don't make anything of that, then that's a problem. Um, these are, violations of the Geneva Convention. And for people who are willing to just move past that because war is hell, we need to think about, one, why is the State Department keeping us from being able to get to a peaceful resolution of this? And two, if our commitments are situated as such to put us on the side of people who are violating our truest and highest principles for how what it means to if we're going to do violence if we're going to do war we're going to do it in this constrained way and we're going to say make an exception in the case for the wars that we support we are losing ourselves and we can't let that happen so calling for real investigations real pressure on the ukrainian government to figure this whole pow thing out is a non a big part of that and second calling for accountability for the use of these weapons to make sure that we're not funding. Keep in mind, when it goes into the black market, it's not just disappearing. 
It's going to large criminal cartels. It's going to potentially terrorists, right? If this somehow hands it, gets into the hands of the Chechnyans and they do something horrible, you know, that's on us because that's our money. That's the money taken from you, the taxpayer, and given to potential baby killers. So I, I'm, yeah, this gets me a little bit fired up because it is, it is so frustrating to watch this dialogue happen in the vacuum of, well, it's just dollars and we just got to keep, it's just like an accounting practice rather than what we're talking about is people's lives and the stability of the globe when, when, and, and, and the access that people who wouldn't be able to buy weapons in the, in the white market getting access to them because of our funding into Ukraine. It's such a polite euphemism to call it aid mm. to Ukraine, right? Mm. You think aid, you think medical supplies, food, water, you know, support for civilians. It's a different story when you start talking about the way you just framed it. Weapons getting into the hands of people that really want to do harm. Regardless of what you think the motivations are for the Ukrainians, for the Russians, or anybody directly involved in this conflict, if the wrong people get a hold of the weapons that are going over there, much like the way the Taliban was able to take control of billions of dollars of tanks and Apache helicopters and and rifles and all sorts of weaponry that we had to abandon in Afghanistan because of the way we left that country, bad things can happen to good people. And do we want that on our shoulders, on our conscience as a result of, like you said, looking, looking past it, turning a blind eye because it's, it's our war. If it's, if it's your war, that's a tough thing. I'm reminded of a, remember the uh, Trump CNN town hall interview where uh, he was asked like, that the CNN was pressing Trump on his uh, Ukraine position, which was basically that we should negotiate for peace. I do it in 24 hours, you know, like that whole thing. But uh, I, I really liked what Trump had to say in that interview where he's just like, people are dying. And like, that was kind of like the the essence of his entire argument. And I'm like, I, I agree with that. It's like, uh, we're, we're essentially playing these high level war games and we're using Ukrainians and also Russians like just like normal people as fodder like like they're the blood sacrifice in these war games that we have to play in order to like weaken Putin or whatever you know it's like like regular people have nothing to do with these fights that are happening and you know they're the ones that you know their their morality their lives all of those things are what have to are getting degraded in order for these you know these puppet masters playing the war games right and it's unfortunate in my business Outside of this podcast, I work with uh, Ukrainian freelancers in the creative space and their lives. I was a direct witness to how their lives were disrupted by the start of this conflict. I mean, one uh, woman that I work with had to flee with her like newborn daughter and her husband is still in the country somewhere mm. as far as I know. And I mean, you don't hear those stories on the news, really, you know, that that part's not it's not as important to the narrative as, oh, well, we got to weaken Putin because Putin's such a bad guy. It's like whether or not she, you know, supports Ukraine in the war or not doesn't, you know, it doesn't change the fact that her entire life was turned upside down by this. And was there not a better way to get to a resolution where the regular people in these countries are not abused and not tossed to the wayside effectively in this way? Yeah, that was a big thing. Uh, 
because in the tech space, which I operate a lot in, is um, there's a lot of Ukrainians. Ukraine, uh, Kiev is kind of a big tech hub uh, for Eastern Europe. And uh, when everything was initially going down, everybody's banks were closed. Nobody could access any of their money. Um, nobody could get to their ATMs, like their, their debit cards weren't working. So there was a lot of uh, Ukrainians kind of in the crypto space. Uh, that were getting Bitcoin donations thrown at them and they would find Bitcoin ATMs to be able to kind of cash out some money or just direct Bitcoin payments to to essentially buy like used cars and stuff to get out of Ukraine. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a very chaotic time. It's like when the chaos came, the banks weren't there for you. <laughs> Nobody could get their money out of the banks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody was effectively poor when when the Russians came in and invaded. I think I think that one part of this that I just want to mention too that's that that goes very much uncovered and unspoken is the impact on Russian civilians. Mm-hmm. I remember distinctly when the conflict started, um, the you know online freelance platform that I use cut off all of the Russian freelancers that use their service. Yeah, they said, "Sorry, you're making a living on this on this app. Yeah, not anymore." And uh, those people didn't invade Ukraine. Mm. They're just people trying to make a living, trying to support their families, trying to put food on the table for their kids. There's no, there's no reason why there needed to be that, that much animosity put on the civilians of a country other than to try to be a part of the solution and put pressure on Putin to not, you know, uh, put his people in the situation. And I, I understand the motivation there and I understand wanting to support you know, the country that's being invaded. But you have to think these are real people who have real lives and real problems. Mm. And, and, and what are you going to do? Yeah. You're a Russian citizen. You're going to put pressure on Putin? Yeah. What, 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 what are you going to write a letter <laughs> and get your head chopped <laughs> off? What is, it, what is this insanity? Like, right. like oh, it, it's, a, it's, it's such an American, like, oh, yeah, you just go up to the president and you tell them, I don't like what you're doing. That's not how it works. It doesn't how it Especially works Especially not in Russia. But here, you have the protection of the First Amendment and, and adversarial systems and stuff like that, that you might not get a fair shake, but you'll get a fair shake than you do in Russia. So <laughs> come on, come on. That's right. the, you're, you're right. There's a, there's a consolidation. There's a mental model. Actually, um, historian Murray Rothbard wrote about this uh, very elegantly when he said that there is a, there's a habit of turning, of anthropomorphizing countries into single individuals, right? So we take a very complex phenomena that has lots of interests, and we've tasted apart a ton on this uh, podcast, of Russia and Ukraine and America, and you turn it into just three human beings who are acting. And then we boil that down, you say Russian, Rush, uh, any Russian individual is Russian, right? Is, is the Russian state, or that Putin is the Russian state, or that Russia invaded Ukraine actually describes what's going on, but it actually isn't that. Right. It's that the it's impossible to make moral calculation with that because you've boiled out all the important facts on the ground about what's happening, such as you're a you're a you're a, an American citizen or sorry, a Russian citizen who was conscripted and then sent there and you don't want to be there. What should you do? Right. That's an important moral like question that's completely lost in Russia, invading Ukraine, Russia, bad, Ukraine, good. Right. You're an American diplomat that has fought for years to put pressure on Russia in order to degrade the Russian military capability using the civilian, the lives of everyday people as fodder, a blood sacrifice. I like that, Kyle, to do so, to accomplish this goal. You lose that moral repugnancy of that point of like you're using human lives in order to accomplish a abstract foreign policy goal that boils things down to simple categories in order for you to sleep at night. 
right? And that's 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 the difference between moral clarity and morality as a function for your 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 conscience, right? Moral clarity says that there is something beyond you that matters, right? And that you're not that you're not the god that gets to decide what's true. And if you live in that space of oh man, what my tribe says is the good thing, is the right thing, you've lost the enlightenment tradition, you've lost the Christian tradition. That says that there's something else beyond that that you are accountable to. So I, I, I hope that um, videos like this will help people who are kind of trapped in the spell of the foreign policy and major media elite about this conflict uh, to see that this is much more complicated and has much greater human cost than just good guy Ukraine, bad guy Russia. Not to put to it, quote, entertain. To put it in the eloquent <laughs> words of Tucker Carlson, if you think this is Winston Churchill versus Hitler, Shut the fuck up. <laughs> okay, let's right. let's let's move on here. Yeah, Winston oh. Churchill was an alien, and uh, he's been testified. <laughs> All right, bad transition. I'll leave the transition to you. My bad. Strange transition. Strange segue. Why don't we just pause for the cause here while I crack a fresh beverage and we hear from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zesty Beverages. They're on a mission to un the standard American diet by crafting drinks with fewer calories and more nutrients from real food. Their lineup of delicious offerings now includes Electric Peak Yerba Mate, postbiotic sodas, keto-friendly, ready-to-drink margaritas, and hard teas. Wondering what a postbiotic soda is? Well, head on over to ZestyBev.com to learn more and find a retailer near you. Once again, check them out online at ZestyBev.com. That's Z-E-S-T-Y-B-E-V.com. So we've touched on this on our very well advertised um, one that has like the, I don't know, <laughs> aliens um, guy, the History Channel guy, um, talking about kind of some of the pre-release on this, so such as the News Nation interview with uh, the, I think, not the star, but uh, I think a main part of the David Grush, former intelligence official who came in and had, you know, basically said that there are real craft, there's a secret program uh, that many intelligence ag- officials know about or are connected to, that he has direct contact with the where, what, how, who of this program. And he is trying to get Congress the ability to get insight into this. So that's really important to understand. His motivation hasn't been to write a book or to go on the UFO speaking tur- uh, circuit. He's done an interview and said, I, uh, he's doing the interview for many reasons, right? At least one of them is, you know, security for himself to say, yeah, but after he already approached one congressman and gave him details, and now he's been called in front of this committee, this oversight committee, to uh, give specifics into UAPs. Now, keep in mind, this isn't just some crazy thing the Republicans dreamt up. The executive branch has started a UAP-specific like program, right? That is a, out there to investigate air, uh, unidentified aerial phenomena. Uh, that person was not involved in this. That was something we reported on a couple, like a month ago. Specifically, he had a long NASA briefing that said, here are a bunch of things we can't explain. And we checked out some of the videos from that and kind of talked about the error rate of that. It's like 3%, I think they can't explain, of all the reports that they get. So what about those 3%? Well, these guys are talking about some of those 3%. So the other one was uh, Commander David Fravor. You might recognize that name from the Joe Rogan experience. He's got on there and talked about the Tic Tac UFO. Um, One of the things I think that was talked about in the Joe Rogan experience, but to remind the listener about is the object that he talks about has no visible propulsion, goes from 80,000 feet down to 20,000 feet, and then back up again. 
in seconds. All right, nothing we have can do that. If we had something that could do that, we could be manufacturing in space already. Like Elon Musk and all the SpaceX stuff is way out the window, right? Reusable rockets out the window. This thing has no visible propulsion, but is able to move like that against the laws of physics. And they repeatedly over and over and over again talk about in the in the committee hearing about whether or not the pilots that, you know, deal with, you know, advanced military aircraft all the time, whether or not this could have been a government, you know, program could have been something that someone has technology to say the physics don't work for anything that we're aware of. And lastly, we got um, former Navy pilot, Mr. Graves, who started after his service, started the Foundation uh, for Americans in Aeros- uh, for Safe Aerospace. He claims some, he has some really great stuff on there, too, because he's a very reasonable uh, person in this space. He's not claiming the David Grush things, neither is Commander Favor. Uh, all he's claiming is that this, there's a substantial amount of people who aren't uh, reporting currently because uh, both commercial and military pilots, because they're worried about the stigma that goes along with it. Uh, specifically, I want to read a quick quote, quote, if everyone could see the visual and sensor data, I wish I witnessed the conversation would change, uh, because a lot of the sensor and other data is overclassified. The public cannot get it. Your congressman cannot get a hold of it. Uh, and, uh, one of the things that he talks about his specific, um, interaction with these, with, with this phenomena, uh, and it was after the initial detection systems had been upgraded, right? So, they had radar systems that were going out over the coasts, over the um, over the ocean near America, and it picked up nothing. And then they upgraded it, and it started picking up these things. And so they went out to go investigate it, and it did things that weren't clear. And what it was here is that he describes a dark gray cube inside of a clear sphere, which is wild, right? Because it's not the tic tac shape. I mean, like all mm-hmm. these different shapes and all these different things are uh, that only amplifies the unidentified, ununderstood nature of this phenomena. Mm. Um, eh, what else we got? Oh, yes. Uh, I also want to cite that Michael Schellenberger has a Twitter. Uh, he's the guy from the Twitter files, right? Michael Schellenberger. Mm-hmm. He's got a new article out investigating the 75 years of government threats to UAP whistleblowers, which is very interesting, right? He's a reputable guy. Uh, and he documents a lot of these uh, threats that David Grush specifically says that he received death threats after the release of his, you know, whistleblowing on this issue. David Grush specifically claims that there are recovered craft, right? And then you have the other two who said, we saw something while we were flying. That's that's the short of it. The recovered craft included questions like, were there extraterrestrials inside of it? He says, no, I'm not going to use that term. We don't know what they were, but we had biotics that we don't understand. Bio- biologics. Biologics that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. So that we're non-human. That are being held by some private corporation someplace. A private corporation? Yes. Okay. Really? So the government to corporation part of this is a substantial amount of it because that's what prevents FOIA of the direct oh, government so if, programs. If a company is holding it, not the government, it can't be uh, unearthed by a freedom of this information. Feels act. like a pattern. Are you telling me that the government is using their connections with private corporations in order to avoid accountability? My gosh, <laughs> it's it's the same thing. It's the same playbook, right? It's the same thing. Like, I can't believe for, you would assert such a thing. <laughs> well, for this, it's like it's all an industrial complex that uses it's the blending of uh, corporate and uh, state, right? We'll call it the obfuscation industrial complex. Well, like okay, so like Skunk Works is a great example, right? It's a it's a private uh, effort, right? That was funded by the U.S. government to create the stealth bomber, right? Uh, we know that the government uses private corporations in order to do these sorts of things. It is a problem that we do that, right? It's a real big stinking huge problem right? for accountability for accountability for the use of your tax dollars in ways that you would find moral 
would find moral immoral. or yeah. immoral. Well, we're finding moral or immoral, right? So mm-hmm. like like the use of your tax dollars, what is it being used for? Would you consent to that in a, in a game? So like, okay, the ideal government is one that would be as wise as to know that the things it's spending your involuntarily given tax dollars would be things that you would give in the absence of government. Right. So you, you could imagine that it's a kind of a silly yeah, imagination, but you could say, oh, police and fire and keeping the nation safe and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But if it's saying, oh, we could be interstellar now, but we're not going to give you that technology because we want to advantage over our foreign adversaries. So we're going to do this whole cover up program and all this stuff for 70 years, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We could have an immensely better life through a completely different energy source or something like that. But we're going to hold that a, a, you know, secret for military purposes forever. Right. Would that be where you would give your tax dollars to? Fuck no. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah. Uh, and, and we got a video here of uh, part of the, the uh, talk with uh, David Grush. If you believe we have crashed craft uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Um. Were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. And was this documentary evidence, this video, photos, eyewitnesses? Like, how would that be determined? The specific documentation I would have to talk to you in a skiff about. Right, Can so you clarify what a skiff is? Yes. Yes, a skiff. Um... Sensitive compartment information facility. Basically, what it is is when you're in Congress and you're going to talk about some highly classified stuff, they bring you to a special place to talk about it. Um, no cell phones are allowed in. They like scan you down, all this stuff. Uh, I've been somewhat close to these. And basically, what it is is they bring a bunch of people into a room and the generals will talk to all the congressmen and say, hey, this is what's going on, right? In Libya or Syria or whatever we're talking about. So uh, there are areas where you can specifically talk about classified information with cleared personnel at a certain level. Congress only has certain distance up that that clearance of personnel. Now, some congressmen, such as the King of Eight and others, have the highest level clearance, right? But not all congressmen have that clearance. That's crazy, right, to me. I, I mean, I, I might, this might be a weird opinion, but to me, we're not a republic unless every congressman could get access to any information they want at any time they ask for it. Otherwise, yeah, yeah, it's like who certain, runs the government? Yeah, it's like certain districts congressmen have supreme authority and then others don't, right? It just like so happens to be the ones that are most supportive of the military industrial yeah, complex. Oh, would Imagine you look that. At that. Yeah, it is strange. It is strange how that works. Well, I mean, and, and not all of them. I mean, there are other ones, but they have to play a very specific game. Now, remember, Edward Snowden released what he released after the director of the CIA. What's the guy's name? At the time, James oh, okay. Brennan. Yeah, yeah, and he's still Person. running around these circles and doing all kinds of stuff. Basically, gone on and said, I, "I can't talk about it, but we do are not collecting the bulk amount of information of American citizens." Lied, right? But he's Straight able up. to lie because. Oh, sorry, James Clapper. James Clapper. He's able to lie because you can't get that information unless you go unless they uh, enable the skiff. Now, what's interesting about this hearing is that he kept on having to say whenever they asked for specifics, like where are the craft. Which corporations are collaborating with the government on this? Which in which who is in charge of these programs? He would have to say because it's classified. I can tell you that in a skiff. I can tell you that in a skiff. Um, a representative from Tennessee, I want to say. Um, man, what is his name? I'm forgetting it right now. I know the guy. God, I'm forgetting his name right now. Uh, he uh, Andrew uh, Oglis, uh, Andrew Oglis. He he basically says, hey, 
We're going to go right after this. Let's go into a skiff. Let's make this happen with us and you and give us the documents and give us all the specifics. And if they don't do that, this is the post Twitter interview. Do you want to do you want to look at that video? We're going to invoke this rule that will defund the position. So this is an interesting component of it. So there's a rule that basically says that if the, the if the executive government, if the executive branch says, no, Congress, you can't hear this information, they can invoke a rule to defund that program without knowing what the program is. So you can go into that. We were denied access to the SCIF. And so to my knowledge, what's going to happen now is not only do we have the support of the chairman, but um, they're going to get a nice letter from Congress. And as you heard, Representative Ogle said, if we're denied, we're going to use the Holman rule. We'll defund the position. And then what about the talk for a full repository um, of all the data on it? Is that something you're going to support with legislation coming out? Yes. It's very multifaceted. We've got so many ideas now. Like I said, this is just the first of many. And we've, we've, I mean, the reason we got this is because we told them we, we would just do the field hearings. We were going to do them in my front yard. I, you know, my wife and daughter were going to grill out hamburgers and hot dogs. So y'all would all be invited. And we could ask everything. Man. We could bring everybody <laughs> there. So they didn't want that. So they brought us back here. So, you know, we're, it, it's still an uphill battle, though. I mean, every every step of the way has been. It just made you realize that we are not. Yeah, so the the important thing there is that, okay, so the executive branch said, no, you can't go into a skiff with this guy. Because the executive branch has to sign off on information that it gives to Congress. Who runs the government? According to the Constitution, who's in charge of the government? Well, I guess technically the people. Yeah, so it should be three branches that are co-equal, right? And who gets the authority? Who gives authority to the executive branch to do things? The Congress. Consent of the Oh, Congress okay. does. That's what it means to be a representative democracy. Oh, yeah. It's insane yeah, yeah. to have a, a process where the executive branch can be like, we're doing stuff, but you don't get to know about it. Although you're supposed to take votes that imply this. How do you take a sensible vote right. about the, 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 the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, if you don't know what to spend money on? Right. Right. So like, how do you how do you make policy about our foreign policy or our domestic policy if you don't know or you can't get the information about what it's going to be doing? The OK. I got to explain why this is, because uh, what, what frustrates me is a lot of people are like, oh, the Republicans, they're just so eff- I don't know, not effeminate at the word. <laughs> they're just so useless in this stuff. They're going to write a letter. Oh, what's the letter going to do? Well, the reason why, because they don't they, they all they can do is write a strongly worded letter and invoke the Holman rule, which does define. But they're not I, I'm very skeptical that's actually to work out. But I hope they're right. Is the fact that the from World War Two to today the executive branch has systematically taken over all the exec, all of the running of the government because Congress gave it that authority, right? We're dealing with things that boomers did when they were young people and the silent generation was in power to give the executive branch all this authority to fight the Cold War with zero accountability. And today we're, we're dealing with that fact. So where Congress is effectively neutered and they can't really do that much because they're obeying the law. Like they, in order to do anything more, they'd have to violate the law, in which case they're not, they, they, they're going to get caught and prosecuted and have a problem. So like, what do they do? Right. They don't have any other powers because they gave it away. Not them, not these guys in, mm-hmm. in, the, in the video. Their predecessors from the 1960s gave this authority away with the War Powers Act and other sorts of uh, action that that have given the executive branch this much control over information of what the government's doing. Okay, so this might be a rabbit hole and we don't necessarily need to go all the way down it, but what role does... Because, I mean, that seems ridiculous to me. To to step back one layer from, you know, Congress to the the consent of the governed really being like the, the... 
underpinning for how the government should work. Like the people should have say really in what's going on here. If we don't have the information to know what's being told to just a select number of representatives and not perhaps our representatives, how are we actually consenting to be governed, right? The executive or the executive branch has taken all of the power, but it doesn't even seem like the president themselves has mm. all the power of the executive branch. Yeah. It's like the apparatus around the president. So like not only you're, are you just vote, you're like voting in a spokesman who's supposed to represent the apparatus that is the executive branch and all of these bureaucrats that are kind of in the military industrial complex milieu and like the president's just supposed to be kind of like their spokesperson that is like the the public face and you're just voting that person in every four years mm-hmm. like that seems to be more more so how the power dynamic actually is in play so uh nullification what role does nullification play at any various level of government how how do you go back how do you wind the clock back or peel away laws that have seemingly usurped constitutional law which should be the underpinning basis of the law of the country. Yeah. So in order to get a change based upon a constitutional challenge, you would have to do a lawsuit. It would have to go to the Supreme Court. And go to the Supreme Court and be adjudicated. Like, and that's the core question is, can Congress delegate away its own authority to run the government? Right. Can, is it legal for a law to be enacted that says that Congress right. doesn't have and an authority you are, that the constitution says it does have? You are at that point, you are challenging the entirety of the fourth branch of government, the bureaucracy. Right. You're saying the entire apparatus of that runs the government is illegitimate according to the Constitution. Now, could you do that? No. I mean, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm genuinely curious about well, There's, there's the, not the a process. fourth branch of government mentioned in the Constitution. Oh, no. So but it, if you believe but, in... But it's just a piece five, of paper. Like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's, I know. Just, it's just a piece of paper. <laughs> there are five branches of government. If you the executive. Like the yeah. The executive, the legislative, the judicial. Those are the ones you're taught in your government class. Mm-hmm. And then you have the administrative branch of government, which is runs around the executive. It's supposed to take orders from the executive, but how much does it actually do so? The Congress actually passes laws that says that the, that they can't fire people, right? Like, like the, the executive branch leader can't say that guy's not doing the job, right? Fire him. Well, this is, this is such a funny thing too, because uh, I was listening to Vivek Ramaswamy on a speech the other day or on a interview the other day. And he was saying like, yeah, the law specifically says that you can't like pinpoint an individual unless there's like something egregious. Like that's the only reason the executive, but it says nothing about mass layoffs. <laughs> yeah, right. so, well, and, that's, so. and there's a specific uh, a historical reason for that. Right. So the, the idea of the permanent bureaucracy advanced by Woodrow Wilson, but on, you know, Woodrow Wilson, I, I talk about that guy way too much. Um, but I mean, he, he, he advanced this idea because the patronage system uh, that existed prior to that, every time there was a new executive executive branch, would get wiped out and a bunch of new people would come in. Right. And that was seen as cronyism, right? Because you would hire all your buddies and yada, yada, yada. So there was this dream, this progressive dream that if you could just get all the smart people in charge in a permanent bureaucracy, everything would be better. Right. And that's the world we live in. That's why, that's what, that's how the government became such a huge oligarchy of permanent functionaries who then actually run things while Congress is inept at doing things. My fifth branch of government is the major private interests. That, that are synergistic with the government and either contracts from, they're collecting all your data and they're selling it to the NSA to say that's compliant with the Fourth Amendment. Right? That's another branch of government as far as I'm concerned. Yes. It's all the non-governmental organizations. Yes. Yeah, the, yes. the NGOs. Yeah, that are in collaboration <laughs> right. with the government to violate your rights. Yeah. That would do things that the government can do through funding them, but not through themselves, which itself is completely arbitrary and stupid distinction. Yes. So back to the question. I mean, I guess... 
I guess you, you, you did answer it, but to what degree can, can the people just mm. say through maybe some civil disobedience or what have you, like, yeah. nah, I don't believe in this. <laughs> That's the trick <laughs> is you got to tell the guys with all the guns that they're going to give the information to you and they just say no. Right. When it comes to this issue, well, I don't see I don't see your way around it. Nullification doesn't work, right? Because nullification is dependent upon the locality saying no to the larger power. But this is the larger power saying we have the spacecraft, you know, eat it. Well, I, I think I think there there are other bargaining chips here, right? Like for example, um, if if my requirement to pay taxes is dependent upon me being represented in government, and I'm not being represented, am I required to pay taxes? Ooh. Well, they have the guns. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, so do I. Like, 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 this is this is the whole this is the whole reason why the entire thing is just like media, like uh, mafia cartels, right? Is like they come by and they say like you're in our jurisdiction, we're going to protect you, you have to pay up, right? Like that that's all governments are, and people put a blind faith into it. Like you want to know how do you break down people's uh, you know views of these things? You have to start chipping away at the faith that people have at the institutions. Then they start to lose the power. Yeah. But as of right now, everybody still has this like religious just godlike view of these institutions and you're never going to kind of break away from that until you start chipping away at the faith that's why you need to like subscribe and share this <laughs> podcast with all your friends because it's 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 removing the illusion is far more at the moment is far more important than anything direct we can do right i mean don't get me wrong trump becomes president or vivek fingers crossed uh, <laughs> i'm just kidding um trump becomes president or a republican becomes pre president both republican takes the house and the senate next year are they going to pass a bill to reform the intelligence community? Maybe they might do something. They might say, "Hey, you can't, you can't no viewpoint discrimination or something like that." Um, bill got proposed this week that was like licensing social media companies from the Democrats. It was hilarious. Anyways, um, it was hilariously bad in <laughs> Orwellian. But the uh, would, would the Republicans do something like that? Are they going to fundamentally restructure their relationship to the legislature and the executive? Uh, Doubtful. Well, not. <laughs> I think there's a lot of Republicans who would, but it isn't representative of your of enough Republicans, specifically in the Senate or House leadership, to do so. Mitch McConnell ain't gonna let that happen. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So, so like the if if you want to get to that place where that's possible, or a tax protest is possible, which is kind of what you're suggesting, a bottom up like I'm not gonna pay taxes until you start actually doing something that's representative of my will, like actually rebalance Congress or intelligence community reform or something like that. Right. You got to get a lot of people to do it so much so that it's impossible for the government to do so without substantial political fallout. One off protests will probably end up putting you a jail because, because you're not, you're not Hunter Biden. You're not going to get away with that. It's true. <laughs> I cannot write off prostitutes and orgy clubs. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do think that meals and entertainment is where that would fall on the, on the PL, but I, I, guys, I don't know if I, I, I don't I don't know if Mitch McConnell is going to be around much longer to to work on this oh, stuff. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to watch it. I just is so I feel so bad for him. Well, we have to do it because our own senator Steve Daines is in the background, and that's a thing. Yeah, of course. I feel bad for Steve. That's awkward. And a string of. Uh... Well, he's so affable back there. He's just like. Well, that's, 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 that's his character. That's chuckling and he's doing his thing and then he realizes like, oh, oh we stopped talking. No, like, yeah, he's just like, like, oh, like, is he going to say anything? <laughs> and then you see the scowl. He's like, oh, he's, he's, he's like, talking. oh, uh oh. <laughs> and <laughs> meanwhile, I get it. I don't know what I would do in that situation. The look on, his, on, on uh, uh, Lindsey Graham's face is like, 
Mitch McConnell. Like, I'm sorry. Mitch McConnell. I always get them. Yeah. Whatever. Neocon of the day. Sure. Republicans. Yeah. For really bad. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I, I don't like this guy as far as policies. I don't like he's done a lot of he's had a lot of bad policy points of view and decisions. He's a, he's a, he's a masterful strategist. Look, though. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think it's really up, bad from here. I mean, like the absolutely. poor guy, I mean, I mean, yeah, retire, bro. Like that's, that's well, tough. Like, God, this brings up an important point. Okay. Because this is not the first, uh, elder politician that we've seen have a serious breakdown, right? We've obviously got plenty of examples from president Biden, We've got Nancy Pelosi saying some wacky shit. We've got Diane Feinstein recently, and just, recently. just in this last week, vote I. You know? try, <laughs> trying to read something when someone has to lean in and just say, "Just vote I." Right? Yeah. It's like this brings up a point that we need to accept as a country, which is our political elite are aging, and we need to accept that and understand that one, we should probably consider some sort of cognitive test. <laughs> <laughs> for the people in power, well, right? These are the people with like the nuclear codes, the people who have the ear of the president or the president himself. We know right? that they These don't are have problems. the nuclear codes. We well, just talked about that. These guys are just literally there to be a to well, right. talk. And I think that's the second part of the problem here, right? Is right. that these people's staffs are really running the show because mm. there's no way that Mitch McConnell is actually making calls if he's up there and he completely loses his train of thought in a press conference. And maybe this is a new thing and, and I don't know anything about his mental state or whatever, but yeah. I think we need to start considering this like elder abuse if these staffers or the people that are actually running the show are saying, look, we're going to keep him in here because keeping him in here is keeping us in here. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I, I think he needs minimum, to retire. He needs to go sit on the back porch <laughs> and drink some sweet tea and watch the sun fucking set and just relax. <laughs> Be with his family. Totally. Good. I, to- I totally get what you're saying. I, I do think it's the best case for congressional term limits at minimum. Like that is a very straightforward because you don't have to go through the messiness of what's the test and you know who passed the test and the, what, what, what a it, basic different kinds test. of intelligence or, or just just an age limit. <laughs> I, I don't even <laughs> yeah. know about that. Like you know who knows right? We got some anti aging stuff and eventually run into that where people are eighty years old but they have the mind of a four year old. That, that is true. Right? Yeah, but is. I, I do I do want to make the point that congressional term limits would easily solve this problem, right? Even if you elect an older person, some states are trend older, so they tend to favor older people. And that's representative democracy, right? But how do you oh, get oh, oh, Congress to vote for term limits for itself? It has. It has. How? Yeah, it did in the 19, 1994. Congressional term limits passed. Really? Yeah. Why isn't it a thing? If it's states didn't adopt it. Or no, no. What, what was it? No. Okay. I forgot. Okay. Here's actually what happened. It passed as a law and the Supreme Court said it was, it, it needed to be a constitutional amendment and struck it down. Oh. Yeah. So we need a constitutional amendment, which could be done. You could do Article 5. You could do all kinds of different ways to get us a constitutional amendment. The Republicans have promised that for generations. Oh, yeah. So it, that, you know, which gives but me you even less confidence that it'll <laughs> well, ever happen. You get enough, they would, I think, I think it's a mainstream position that could Th- happen. There is also a downside to congressional term limits, though, too, is that it ends up handing all the power into like all the institutional knowledge just ends yes. up centralizing into the bureaucracy yes. because you end up having like you have these people that come in, they have two terms, four terms, whatever it is in Congress, which is eight years. Um, your, your first four years, you're nothing. You're just like, you're just going around listening to the people around you and the people around you are going to be the bureaucrats that have been there for 40 years. And they're the ones that are going to end up having all the power. So it's actually quite useful to have people, at least on your side, whichever side that is, to have like 40 years of knowledge as like a congressman or a senator. Or have term um, limits and a limited government. 
And then you don't have that problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, like that's the problem is that we don't have a, like we have yeah. such an overexpansive bureaucracy right. right now that I think term limits would actually be detrimental. Wait, it would be, it would, it would, it would, it would be detrimental in some sense. It would have huge trade-offs. That's the short of yeah, it. Because, right? because yeah. like, at least you can, you know, at least you can vote in your congressman. You can't right. vote in these bureaucrats. Right. And like, if, if we're just going to hand all the power to the bureaucrats, then what's even the point of having the congressman anymore? That's also a problem. Like, no doubt. Uh, actually, the, another, real, the real problem here is Photoshop. Here's why. <laughs> you look at me like that. What? I imagine <laughs> the average voter in Dianne Feinstein State and, and uh, Mitch McConnell State has no idea how elderly they are because they see a TV ad yeah. and a mailer and a digital ad and they're like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. Senate. Check mark. He's looking good for his age. Yeah, right. They, they haven't right. changed a bit in thirty years. <laughs> so the real, the real culprit here. So it's not, is the American people's inability to navigate the fact that they're lying to you with that Photoshop. I mean, on, uh, we can accept that it's a reality for supermodels. <laughs> We should be able to broaden our awareness <laughs> well, to politicians. It, 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 it is interesting. Like it's it's like uh you know FDR. Nobody knew that he was in a wheelchair back in the day, right? right. And he served well, four was terms, a, right? Wasn't there? It was pre-TV, so he yeah. was only he, he was the radio candidate, he was, right? Yeah, was, was yeah so but but like barely anybody like outside of like the the elite people within like the circle in in the white house like nobody knew he was in a wheelchair and like he he was able to walk a little bit so he could get up and give speeches in front mm. of a crowd but like for the most part he was he was bound to the wheelchair so like but you know it's it's the same type of thing right now is like who knows where we're going to end up going with like deep fakes and stuff how do, <laughs> how do we know? Worse. The, the, the congressman the congressman or senator has been dead for 20 years <laughs> yeah. and it's just an ai talking yeah. and it's dead written by a staffer no, we're just getting catfished by all of Congress. One hundred percent in my lifetime. Catfishing is a great term. I love it. One hundred percent in my lifetime. That's going to happen. The, 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 we're going to have an AI. That's how the AI takes thing, over. Yeah. Is actually that's it. It's is is the the, pe- the people think that they're actually electing leaders and they're actually all AI? Well, and, that's, okay. and that's and that just goes to show you, like there are there are lots of congressmen, senators who are real people who will go to your town hall. We have to have a higher standard as an American public. Part of the thing is, and part of the, okay, so anytime you're pointing out a problem, you don't take responsibility for it, you're not really doing any good, right? So the, the responsibility that I could see is that the American public are largely uninterested in their own government. And they largely complain about tax season and fall asleep for the rest of the year. The average person were to take an ounce of responsibility in these states, it would make a huge difference. But most people are uninterested in that. So- you have to make a grassroots bottom up fundamental change about our political culture and that, you know, being engaged in these issues isn't just spitting in the wind. It is fundamental to restoring the Republic and having a government that you feel like you can be proud of again. Absolutely. And, and that, that was going to raise that question is how do we, and I say we Royal, Royal, we, right. How do the, the electorate of Pennsylvania elect John Fetterman? Right. He was the best candidate for the job. <laughs> right. I, I think we do. I think we need more Fetterman's in uh, in Congress <laughs> because that's how you break down the illusion that the, that people put into this thing. Right. Like you you want you want Fetterman's in there if you're going to break down the religion of the state. Yeah. Well, and, and it's also and that's also the fact that the average person is just disconnected from the political process. Yeah. They're voting as a duty, and they're not they're not fully engaged, right? Because they don't have an avenue in which they can get quick, easy with a resource they can trust that isn't going to tell them a partisan talking point. 
Right. So I, 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 uh, <laughs> I love the trolliness of what you're saying. And it's, no, there, I, I 100%, true. I 100% believe I, that. I, I, I believe <laughs> that you believe that. Yes. But he, that, he's way better than Dr. Oz if we're going to fight the state. <laughs> that's true. Dr. Oz would probably show up and be able to articulate a sentence. Do, yeah. Dr. Oz will, <laughs> will articulate a sentence very well and then get a bunch of funding into the military industrial complex. So that's think, what he will do. Yeah. So you think progressives <laughs> voted for John Fetterman because Fetterman is going to destroy the illusion of, of no, 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 no. Progressives voted for John Fetterman because Trump, Dr. Oz. because Trump endorsed Dr. Oz. <laughs> yeah. But I think that you should vote for for Fetterman because he is terrible <laughs> and that he is going to make people lose faith in government. That's that's why I see. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's a that's yeah. some forty chess. And I, I didn't mean troll in like a derogatory sense. I just meant in an accurate sense. Like, <laughs> there's a, there's a, troll <laughs> is one of the most esteemed titles you could give someone. <laughs> well, you've heard it here, folks. Kyle Mack, troll, crypto degen, and pudgy penguin collector. Yes, that is me. <laughs> All right. Well. That's been a, a great chat for today. I know we need to start wrapping up here. Any final thoughts before we uh, say farewell? Uh, just, just be sure to, I mean, follow us on all the social media channels. We got big things coming to the podcast. We got a lot of cool plans. Uh, we want to blow this thing up and make it bigger. Uh, we want to help everyday people get connected to the illusions that are there in government and help them dispel those illusions. Um, we want to do what we did here and on an even bigger scale. So I would just really appreciate your like, follow, subscribe, and uh, get this podcast out there. Thanks, you guys, for being here and for all the laughs today. It was a really fun episode. I really enjoyed it. And thank you guys for watching at home. We will see you next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Liberty Portal podcast. To help us fight internet censorship, we'd really appreciate it if you like, comment, subscribe, follow, hit the notification bell, do whatever it is that you do wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast. To find us on social media and everywhere around the web, visit us at linktree.com slash libertyportalpod. And remember... I cannot write off prostitutes and orgy clubs. <laughs> Although I do think that meals and entertainment is where that would fall on the, on the PL. But.